Uh, maybe you've seen some of these videos on uh, YouTube and they're called epic fails. They're usually people doing really dumb things with heavy consequences that get caught on video, either by mistake or on purpose. One of these videos, these montage videos, is a group of people uh, making costly mistakes at work or on job sites. And this one in particular was titled, That's Gonna Cost You. You might have seen it, or at least heard the catchphrase, or even said it, that, that's going to cost that person. That's not going to go well. I remember in my late teens after I became a Christian, I often heard about the cost of discipleship, what it costs to follow Jesus. It's true. Following Jesus costs. It's a message, though, that's largely gone from Christianity today. The cost of Christianity the cost of following Jesus. Most often, Christianity in mainstream, in mainstream Christianity is presented from a marketing perspective. What, you, what do you get from following Jesus? How can you benefit from following Jesus? The biggest, fastest churches in our country, and actually, as I was doing research around the world, are peddling a message about what Jesus can do for you. How He can fix your life. How He came so that you could realize your full potential. How He came so that you could have the life you've always wanted. If you haven't heard of him, there's a pastor named Stephen Furtick. He is a very popular, but he's a false teacher. Last time, around this time of the year, he taught a message where his primary thesis statement was this. The process of discipleship is not God changing you into something else. It's him revealing who you've been all along. I've watched a lot of Furtick's teaching. This phrase actually captures the essence of his teaching and he is warping the gospel to center around the self-esteem of the individual. And that kind of teaching, church, costs. It has a, a costly effect. This discipleship isn't about you and your inner self being released. Discipleship is about, and I'm paraphrasing Jesus' words, denying to yourself. Discipleship is about dying to your inner self. Discipleship is about that person you've always been needs to die so that Christ can be formed in you. Pick up your cross and become not who you fully are, but become who Jesus fully is. That's what a disciple is. The process of becoming like Jesus, that's going to cost you. And Jesus didn't mince words on this. If you just read the red letters in the New Testament, it's very evident. If you have never done that, I would encourage you to do that. Just read through the red letters. 
It's a powerful invitation, a costly one. And this is actually Paul's this is actually Paul's message to Timothy in 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 his letters and especially in first in second Timothy chapter 2 but also especially in this passage second Timothy chapter 2 verses 3 through 13 where we're going to be tonight following Jesus costs but we also must remember this not following Jesus costs And so if I was to pick a thesis statement for night for tonight it would be this following Jesus is going to cost you so remember why you follow This is Paul's message to Timothy The last time we were together brother Kevin, so thankful for you and the word you brought to us when we were gathered here together a couple of weeks ago. And if you remember, Kevin started off our Entrust series with the first two verses in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And these verses he taught us, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And then what follows these verses is this. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And what we need to realize is these two thoughts were connected for Paul. Entrust to faithful men, share in the sufferings of Christ. What Kevin reminded us of is that the purpose of relationships in the church is to spread the truth. Or we could say it this way, relationship is the vehicle by which truth is carried. And so we found in the beginning part of 2 Timothy that Paul is urging Timothy to pass on the truth that had been passed on to him. Truth had been forged into Timothy's life through relationship. Remember? This is what Kevin was helping us to see. First Lois and his grandmother Eunice, and then Paul. And now Timothy is to forge that same truth into the lives of others through what? Through his relationship with them. And one of the points that I really appreciated that Kevin brought to us was that Paul didn't detail exactly what Timothy was to say. Don't see a lot of, and so say this, and in this situation, say this, and say this, and teach that, and here's a, here's a list of things you need to make sure you get through. But he did those things, and some of that is assumed, but he primarily emphasized what kind of life was to pair up with Timothy's doctrine. You've got to teach the truth and make sure your life lines up with it. Timothy, the kind of life that pairs up with your doctrine as you take it into the lives of others. And I just thought that was a great point. And we need to understand the importance of this, church. If truth is carried into lives through relationship, 
then the lives that carry the truth is vitally important. True? If truth is carried into people's lives through relationship, then the lives that carry that truth, the vessels that hold the truth, is really important. And this is where Paul puts the emphasis on in his letters to Timothy. Paul tells Timothy that adjusting your life to be a vessel that carries the truth will cost you, but it's worth it. That's the point of this whole thing. So make sure you get that. Timothy, adjusting your life to be a vessel that carries truth will cost you, but it's worth it. So that is going to cost you. So remember who you follow. So today we're studying, as I've said, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3-13. through 13. And Paul strengthens Timothy with this truth. This one that I've been reiterating, that the life that carries truth, in, truth into the lives of others is a life that costs. So we might paraphrase uh, Paul's message to Timothy from, and kind of help us blend last time Kevin taught with this time. And in so doing, we might hear Paul say to Timothy something like this, Timothy, through your relationship, in other words, you, your life and your doctrine coming together, take those and forge the truth in the lives of men who will teach others. And that way of life is going to cost you. And so here's how Paul says it. Verse 2, finishing up from Kevin, the last time. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, share in the sufferings of a good soldier as Christ Jesus. Entrust to faithful men, share in sufferings. It's kind of tempting to hear Paul's admonition to Timothy as something that's passive. We might be tempted to hear it like this. If you forge truth in the lives of others, hold on because suffering is a natural consequence. So kind of forge the truth and then brace yourself because suffering is coming. We might be tempted to hear it that way, but that's not how Paul is encouraging Timothy. He's encouraging an active, proactive suffering versus a reactive or passive suffering. Let me clarify what I mean by active versus passive suffering. So in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says this, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. And the Greek word that Peter uses for suffering is actually the word pathema. And it means something that has undergone a hardship or a difficulty that you face that's outside of your control. It's something that happens to you. It's something that you, you have opportunity to respond to, but it's not something that you initiate or that you actively choose. So that's a passive suffering. This is used in numerous other places that we are to endure suffering. That's this word pathema. It, suffering comes to us. But Paul 
changes this word and he uses a different word for Timothy. He uses this word sagakpatheo, and it means to be a partaker. It's why the English translation starts off this verse that says, share in the sufferings, because it's something that we actually have to choose. We participate. It's something that's initiated with us. It's not share the truth and then brace yourself because suffering is coming. It's share the truth even at your own expense because you will suffer loss of something in order to do this. Are you with me? And so again, it means to take part in, to share in companionship or to partner with, to actively choose it. And then so to help Timothy quantify what he actually means by sharing or participating in suffering, he uses three, he uses three examples. So look at verse 4. Starting again, sorry, backing up into verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So Paul offers these three examples, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And every one of these examples willfully suffers for the benefit of something else. Do you see what I'm saying? They don't wait for suffering to come. They choose suffering as a participant in order to gain something that they want to gain. It's a different kind of suffering. We're not passive sufferers. Paul's saying, activate your suffering gene and participate in something bigger than yourself to obtain something that you want to obtain. So in each of these examples, the soldier and the athlete and the farmer, the person willfully chooses to suffer the loss of one thing for the sake of another. And then from these examples, Timothy is to gain and to actually extrapolate insight. So Paul says, I'm going to give you some insight, and then I want you to take these three people who initiate suffering, and I want you to meditate because you're going to gain more suffering after this teaching is over, but you need to hold on to this. Here recently, you guys know in the men's study, and even here at church, I've used Navy SEAL uh, you know, analogies quite often. You know, Rob gets into his SEAL books and stuff, and I've actually got, I caught a few bullets for that. But here's my defense. Paul regularly talks about soldiers army soldiers in Scripture to make a point. And we ought to be learning from people who exhaust themselves for the sake of a bigger goal. And so Paul does that here with the soldier, but he also does it with the athlete, which is another one of his favorite analogies to use in regards to drawing parallels to Christianity and a farmer. And so Paul tells Timothy that he is to gain insight into why he chooses to suffer and to remember the benefits and the outcomes and why he chooses to follow and that those things are captured in these three analogies. 
And so the soldier suffers the loss of distractions, Paul says, for the sake of pleasing his leader. Think about this, church. How often do you get distracted from the things you want to do with things that are just immediate and you can fix them and, and I feel better if I just get this thing done and then the next thing I know, the thing that I really need to get done or actually even wanted to do isn't done because I was so distracted with all these other things. And Paul says that is the temptation of the soldier to get distracted and be hanging around, you know, the water cooler and talking about all these little dumb civilian things. And meanwhile, his leader is going, you're wasting my time. And so the soldier suffers the loss of water cooler talk and stuff that doesn't matter and and talking about dumb stuff and, oh, I can fix this little tiny problem. And he forgoes that for the sake of pleasing his leader. The athlete suffers the loss of cutting corners in his training for the sake of winning. I actually thought that when Paul said that he uh, he competes according to the rules, it's kind of like soccer, you know, you don't kick the ball out of bounds, that's a rule. But it's actually, what what Paul is saying here is that he suffers, the he he has his regimen for what he needs to do in order to win the race, and he doesn't cut corners on his own regimen. He disciplines himself and he says, this is what I need to do in order to exercise myself to get the winner's wreath and I am not going to cut corners on my training regimen. I'm going to discipline myself for why? Because I want to win the prize. And so the athlete suffers the loss of cutting corners in his training for the sake of winning the prize. And the farmer suffers the loss of immediate ease, you know, folding his hands and taking naps and, and bailing, you know, messing with this bailing twine over here when he's got crops to plant. See, he forsakes, he suffers the loss of the immediate little things for the sake of a long-term harvest, and he ought to be able to be the first one that eats of it. And so again, each one of these illustrations, the person willfully chooses to suffer the loss of one thing for the sake of the another. And this is what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do. Suffer the loss of some things for the sake of forging truth in the lives of others. So we could say it positively this way. The soldier pleasing his leader over being distracted. The athlete chooses winning over cutting corners in his training. The farmer chooses a bountiful harvest over daily ease. And what Paul is telling Timothy is, Timothy, choose forging truth into the lives of others over your own comfort. Choose it. And you must choose. Church, We have to choose. Nobody makes it for us. And that kind of choosing is costly. But it's worth it. So remember this truth. Truth is carried into the lives of others through relationship. And therefore the life that carries truth is vitally important. And developing the kind of life that transfers truth from one life to another costs 
but remember why you follow. And so Paul urges Timothy that the reasons you follow, Timothy, here's your example. You follow to please your leader, to please King Jesus. You follow Timothy to win the prize. You follow you to gain the harvest. It's coming. It's worth it. This, this life is costly, but remember why you follow. And so in this next section, as we move in verse 8, Paul actually reminds Timothy to focus on why he is following. And he starts with a call to remember Jesus. Then Paul offers his own life as an example. See, Timothy, I'm doing the thing that I'm asking you to do, that Christ asks us to do. And then he ends with a liturgy that unites both him and Timothy and most of the church at that time. So starting in verse 8. This is very interesting. There's a lot that could be said here, but he says, remember the soldier, the athlete, the farmer, you're going to think about these things. And then he pulls them all together in the person of Christ. And he says, remember Jesus Christ. Remember him, Timothy. He's not just making a statement. He's calling Timothy to actively do something. Remember Jesus. He's risen from the dead. He's the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. For which I am choosing to suffer. You see it? Paul's saying, Timothy, choose suffering. And now he's saying, remember Christ? I am, and I'm suffering for it. The life that I'm calling you to, that's what I'm doing. And I'm choosing it. And because I'm choosing it, and even though I'm in prison, God's Word isn't in prison. God's Word is still moving forward even though I'm in chains. God's Word isn't chained. This is why we keep moving forward. For which I am choosing to suffer, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Verse 10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a trustworthy saying. For if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. And so again, Paul calls Timothy to put another thing in his mind. Remember Jesus, Timothy. He's our example. He's exactly what I'm talking about. He is the one that suffered for the sake of others. He is the one who suffered so that truth could be run into your life, run into my life. Timothy, remember Jesus. He proactively chose suffering for others, like I am doing, Timothy, like I'm calling you to do. So the Apostle John says it this way in John chapter 10. Jesus speaking, I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me 
and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And then again, John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This is what Paul is encouraging, imploring Timothy to do. I said this briefly at the beginning. It is important that we talk about the cost of following Jesus. There's, there's definitely a cost. And again, Paul reminds Timothy of that here in our passage. I think I know this is true for me. Often we hear in church following Jesus cost, the cost of discipleship, the cost of obedience, and it's often said with gloom and sobriety and somberness and some of that is appropriate. But sometimes we talk as if following Jesus is the only life with cost. And it simply isn't. We forget or are blinded to the fact that not following Jesus has significant costs, not only in this life, but to the life to come. And in my own experience, I know this for sure, it costs me way more not to follow Jesus than to follow him. True? My dad used to call my oldest brother Hardway. In my relationship with the Lord, I think sometimes that nickname is slid over to me. It seems I always have to learn the hard way. And this is a lesson I have learned the hard way, but I know it now more true than I ever had before. Following my own self is way harder in the long run than following Jesus. But following Jesus does have cost. And so we must remember why it is that we follow. We have to keep that before us. And so this is why there is a warning embedded in this liturgy that Timothy or Paul shares with Timothy. So it's believed that this last part, it's why it's, if it's like in your Bible like it is in mine, Paul says this saying is trustworthy and then there's a colon and then this is separated out. It's because it's believed this was a liturgy that the early church would say out loud together. Here's a trustworthy saying and here Paul announces the saying, if we've died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. By the way, worship team, this would be something for us to incorporate on a regular basis for us to say together. There's a structure to this writing and you have these comparisons, and then they wheedle down, and then in the middle is to make the point. And so in the middle, we have this statement, if we deny him, he will also deny us. 
And this liturgy is actually remembering the words from, Jesus's, from Jesus from Matthew's gospel, chapter 10, where Jesus says this, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Church, this is a scary verse. It should cause us some level of sobriety. Because what Jesus is clearly stating is that he will acknowledge to the Father everyone who acknowledged by their life and doctrine that Jesus is God come in the flesh to rescue us from sin. Jesus said, if you, rest, if you acknowledge that, I will acknowledge you. In other words, when the time comes when everyone, and this is true, everyone will give account of their life before God, Jesus will vouch for those who embraced him as, co- as a covering for their sin. Friends, if you, if you say, oh man, I can't stand before God on my own because I will be a shipwrecked. The thought of standing, even as I'm speaking it, I'm getting like, oh man, the thought of standing before God on my own vaporized, pulverized, punished. I need an advocate. And if you recognize, I can't stand before God without an advocate. I need Jesus. Jesus says, I'm there. You stand before God, Christ stands right next to you. Church, hear me. He'll stand right next to you and say, He is with me. She is with me. But hear the sober words of Jesus. If you say, I can do that on my own. I'm good enough. I can stand before God. The good outweighs the bad. I don't need an advocate. I don't need you, Jesus. If you say that on earth, when you stand in heaven, Jesus will affirm that choice of yours. And he will say, he denied me on earth. That is true. He did not need me. She did not need me. That is true. I am affirming that they are not with me. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. It is a sober warning. But Jesus will stand alongside us before God the Father as the righteous one who vouches for those who cling to him for life with their life. May we cling to him, church, with our lives. Not just our words, our lives. Here's the truth. Capital T-H-E, the capital T-R-U-T-H, truth. Following Jesus costs. Verse 11 says, if we die... Verse 12 says, if we endure. You see, that's cost. You die, cost. You endure. That's a cost. 
but also not following Jesus and following yourself and going your own way. That costs. Whatever you choose, you will cost, it will cost you one way or another. By the way, this is the main thrust of the first 10 chapters of the book of Proverbs. I've started reading a proverb a day again, and this has been really good. I haven't done this in a long time. I'd encourage that. But the first 10 chapters of Proverbs is this. Both wisdom and foolishness cost. Both wisdom and foolishness are calling out. They are both calling for you. Wisdom folly, she's kind of quieter, she's not as attractive, she stands in the corner, but she's saying, I have life for you. Wisdom folly, she's more attractive, she's got lipstick smeared all over, she smells real good, she's throwing flowers, she's real brass, she's calling you in, but she calls to death. Wisdom costs. So Proverbs 4, 7 says, though it cost all you have, get wisdom. Get understanding at all cost. But foolishness also cost. And so, speaking as a woman, woman folly says, in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. She does not look far. She does not ponder life out. She just thinks in the moment and takes what's good for her right now foolishness costs. Wisdom costs. Foolishness costs. And Paul reminds Timothy, a life that forges truth into the life of others costs. But remember why you follow. If we die with Him, we will also live with Him. That's why. If we endure we will reign. You see it? It's worth it. And even if we are faithless, by the way, this gets scary, but I believe actually Peter falled into this faithlessness category, not the deny category. Because Peter still said, I need an advocate, I need a father, but he was faithless in a moment, right? This used to scare me when I was a teenager so I'm, and younger, so I'm saying this for the benefit of the kids. I can remember being so burdened with the fact, oh, I think I committed the unpardonable sin, it's all over for me, I can't do it, I denied Christ, you know, because I used to set up these things in my mind that if I do that sin again, it means I'm denying Christ, I don't know if you little guys ever do this, we... Right, Brother Ian? We've talked about this. We set these things up, and oh my gosh, I think I committed the unpardonable sin. And uh, No, if you're going, I need a Savior. I need somebody to stand with me as an advocate. You're still in, right? Okay? Even when we're faithless, like Peter was, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. Here's the point. If you're with Christ On the day of judgment, I'm with him. I can't do this on my own. If you're with Christ, you're good because he can't deny himself. 
This is what the whole message of the book of Colossians. We're in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. If I'm with Christ, I, I gotta have an advocate if I'm standing before God. If we're with him, he can't deny us because he cannot deny himself. So let me give us a few applications, church. A couple practical things, and we're going to unpack this in our small groups. By the way, I had this idea. I could send you my full notes, and we can put those up online while we're studying in our small groups the sermons, so people can have the whole thing if they want. And then, so we'll, we'll try to do that, right? And then you can access that for group discussion in our small groups. But one of the things I would encourage you to consider is to gain and extrapolate insight like Paul tells Timothy from the examples offered of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And remember that we're always giving something up for the sake of something else. That a life that wants to forge truth into the lives of others, it will cost. What does it cost us, but what's the gain? We ought to spend some time meditating on that. And just taking taking inventory about the benefits and why we're doing what we're doing and how we've been rescued and then how we have opportunity to uh, respond by participating in the rescue of others. And so to take Paul's encouragement to Timothy is to take these examples and then continue to meditate on them and to gain insight for your Christian walk and this idea of forging the truth in the lives of others and why you would do that and how, I would encourage us to do that. And the second thing is this, remember the reason why you follow Christ in spite of the cost. Recall the goal of pleasing your king. What are you willing to sacrifice for pleasing Christ? Oh man, I'll trade that for that. What is that? What is the prize? What does winning the prize look like for you? And what are you willing to give up for that prize? I'll sacrifice that for that. Don't think about it, church. Write it down. What about partaking of the harvest? The hardworking farmer. What are you willing to work hard? What would say, that for that harvest, I'll work hard. Consider the harvest. What is it that you would be willing to work hard to obtain? These are the things that Paul encourages Timothy and by application, us church, and may we press in to the word. And the Lord, verse 7, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So Father, we submit ourselves to your word as a group of people that loves and holds each other accountable, and we say, Lord, we will press into your word. And you say in your word, you will give us insight into everything. And so we welcome that, and we look forward to that as we hear and observe your word. For the glory of Christ and our joy, amen.